one soul ring. Ah, the cadence. Got it. <laughs> 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 record. <laughs> Just when you hear re. Well, re. No, it should be record. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm waiting for. And then you go record. <laughs> it's funny because like seldom do the tracks ever actually line up. Well, it's because mine like... does. Mine does like a few beats right at the beginning. Yeah. Before it actually starts, it's like a newer Garage Band thing. And yeah. um, I yeah. don't know. Riley's probably got a different version of Garage Band, and then Eric's using a diff- completely different program. So yeah, so like it's it's all good. Like don't stress about it yeah. too much, Riles. If you don't, yeah, I stress about it every time. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I assuage you of your can't. need for stress. Can't, can't sleep at night. <laughs> Just thinking about the record, record, <laughs> record. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, this is Turn One Soul Ring. I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Eric. I'm Riley. And we have our editor, Ainsley, joining us once again. Hello, I'm editor Ainsley. Hello, editor Ainsley. (laughs) Hi, Riley. (laughs) And today on the show, we're wrapping up our Nemesis series with part three, the conclusion. Le (laughs) Return of the part. (laughs) Last week, we covered Krovax's butchery of all things Wrathy, as well as several events that put our main characters on a collision course the stronghold specifically we left off with belbe and urte getting sexy you guys remember that uh so sit back and let's find out what happened right after that i really enjoy that like people from wrath are wrathy wrathy yeah i do like that very much let's get a little wrathy in here (laughs) getting a little wrathy Like maybe we should like refer to things that we do in our house because like we're we're Smith, right? So maybe we should like be like the Smithy. Yeah, it's getting a little Smithy in here. It's getting a little Smithy in here. That just sounds like you're like an actual Smith, like making some like sword or something. Oh, we're doing that too. Oh yeah. (laughs) Just working on a new breastplate tonight. That's right. I'm all about the breastplates. Well, planes are essentially like planets, so we could refer to the things that we do as earthy or... That's cute. <laughs> earthy with an I. Yeah, yeah. That's actually really fun branding. Like, yeah. that would be such a good um, name for a product because earthy is such a buzzword. Like like when you mm-hmm. walk in somewhere, you're like, hmm, smells earthy in here. Yeah. Or like you do something normal, like go to the bank. It's like, oh, that's so earthy of you. <laughs> <laughs> with an eye (laughs) so hours after they after they got sexy they were still in each other's arms and belby finally got out of bed oh that's cute uh careful not to disturb a sleeping erte as she gathered her things and dressed she gazed at the sleeping wizard and noticed that his hair was even darker than it was before and in addition to his newly formed muscles his skin had taken on an ashy gray hue and she thought that he did indeed resemble a smaller Grevin. It's changing. Oh, boy. She likes it. I mean, yeah, here for it. Yeah. And that's when Krovax barged in, waking Urte in the process. <laughs> what a fuck. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> He's just that one guy at the party that everybody's like, oh, God, it's Krovax again. <laughs> yeah, totally. Eating all the dip. Yeah, just what a jerk. So the first thing he did was congratulate Erte on what he thought was an attempt to secure his place as Evancar. Um, and there was no way 
Urte uh, could beat Krovax in sheer power, so maybe throwing the emissary a fuck would seal the deal. You know? But you know what, guys? They're in love, okay? That's good. It's not just sex. Oh, that's nice. And I think it was probably, I think it was both of their, I mean, I know it was Belby's first time, but I think it was also Urte's first time. That's wholesome. Yeah, yeah. I can't well, say for sure, but. Because they're 19. Uh, yeah. Well, he is, anyway. He is. Yeah, she's like, yeah. she's pretty new. I don't know about Belbe. Yeah. She but. might be younger. Well, didn't they say how old she was at the beginning of the book? Um, well, I mean, if she, if, uh, if we assume that if, you know, we're kind of getting into semantics here, but like, is she like the same thing? You could kind of think of her as just like a few weeks old. Um, cause she's like the repurposed version. <laughs> she's like repurposed parts. She's just a baby. <laughs> yeah. She could be just a baby. <laughs> it's like when you put together a new robot. Exactly. It's just like that. A sex <laughs> robot. <laughs> so anyways, Krovax was basically, uh, he basically demanded that Belve name him Evan Carr as there was no one that could match his power. And she said the same thing she'd been saying so far. So Krovax demanded that she set a date for her decision. <laughs> so she did. Okay. Uh, she told both of them that in two days, everyone would gather in the throne room at midday and she would name the new Evan Carr. Uh, oh, save the date. There you go. Send a, a save the date card. Yeah, like her and Urtai like, being like all cute on a bridge or something, you know, like people do. Yeah, they do do that. Uh, then Krovax left to connect with his corps of sergeants, and Urtai did the same, except that he went to the library to learn as much as he could over the following two days, leaving Belbe alone library. with Volrath's collection of flowstone statues. Neat. So I guess I'll just hang out and look at these statues. Uh, well, she wasn't too keen on hanging out with the statues, so she retreated to the Flowstone factory and hatched eh. a new plan to relieve Krovax of command. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So Krovax informed his sergeants uh, what we just explained, but he also told them that as sure as he was that he would be chosen as Evancar, he was a bit worried about other influences surrounding Belby. Namely, the sexy kind. Mm -hmm. So as a precaution, he ordered them to return to the Citadel the next day and to smuggle their weapons and daggers in. Um, and I may have forgotten to mention this. Uh, pr maybe I did in our Wrath and Storm series, but like you can't have any weapons inside the Citadel part of the strongholds. It's just like, I guess, no. I guess so like nobody gets out of hand or I think it's a, a safety shame. precaution. Isn't it, or yeah. is it like a sacred thing? <laughs> It could be that. I don't exactly remember. Um, anyway, Either way. Anyways, Krovax told them that during the naming ceremony in two days, they should all wait in the Evancar's antechamber next to the throne room because if Belby didn't name him Evancar, they would burst into the room and kill her and then kill Urte um, because he wasn't going to leave someone so important. He wasn't going to leave something so important up to a, quote, hot-blooded girl. Hot-blooded. Hot-blooded. So the leader of the corps, Nasser, agreed, agreed to the orders and led the sergeants to prepare. And by that point in the story, Grevin was patrolling the Rathi Plains with Predator on suspicion of rebel activity. The airship's weapon systems were still not operational, and in addition to dispatching a few groups of rebels, they encountered the mysterious corps, Fura. Remember him? Fura. Fura. Of the, of the, of the kingfishers of men, or whatever it was. They took him aboard and planned to question him at the stronghold. So getting back to Belby's plan, she began to realize the fragility of her situation. She wondered what would happen to her once a new Evancar was chosen. 
Would she be recalled to Phyrexia to live out the rest of her days in an unpolluted jar? Could she remain on Wrath as an advisor to the new governor or the ov- to oversee the Flowstone factory? And even that role would be short-lived as the conjunction of Wrath and Dominaria was fast approaching. And once that occurred, the full-fledged invasion would begin and she would be lost in the tidal wave of the Phyrexian onslaught. And we'll get to that. Hmm. And that's when the idea came to her. And remember that she installed a monitoring device in the factory's control center. Well, well, that device could also circumvent the center's commands. So she planned to make the control center think it was producing Flowstone at 100% capacity while it would be producing at nowhere near that much. And, you know, the whole controlling the means of production thing. Um, So she planned to also conscript Grevin to help her. And just as she did, she saw Predator arriving far above, so she enacted the next step of her plan, which was traveling up to the landing dock as fast as she could. When she, reached, <laughs> when she reached that level, Grevin, his airship crew, and a hooded fura were walking down the corridor toward her. She inquired about the hooded figure, and Grevin suggested they talk about it in a nearby room off the corridor. Once inside, Grevin explained that fura was part of the Stronghold's network of spies, and the Feline Corps introduced himself to Belbe. <laughs> Grevin told Belbe <laughs> that Fura's identity had to remain secret while in the Stronghold, because if it was if it was divulged, it could compromise his effectiveness as a spy. Ooh, Cat a spy. spy. Yeah, if, if everybody knows I'm a spy, it doesn't really make my job that much more Yeah, effective. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> meow, meow. So, um, remember, don't talk around that guy. <laughs> so, Belby was satisfied with this, and she left. Uh, and Fura raised his hood and said to Grevin, Simple enough, she won't be a problem. Don't underestimate her. She may look like a child, but she was made by the overlords and has many talents. You've grown cautious, Grevin. You didn't used to be. We're playing a very dangerous game. I value my life, wretched though it is. Don't betray me, Grevin. I betray no one. Just understand, this is your gamble, your fight. I will not hinder you, but I can't help you much either. And then Grevin stalked off, leaving Fur to admire the tapestries left by the previous Evancar. Ooh, pretty. I just wondered, how many vacation days do you think Grevin gets every year? Oh man, he probably doesn't take <laughs> any. He probably doesn't get any. No, not even like the standard two massage benefits. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. It's also a big old zero. <laughs> even if he did, he probably wouldn't use them. He's just like, I just gotta, I gotta stay tight. I gotta yeah. keep working. <laughs> he- yeah, instead of getting massages, he gets the, like, rod torture, like that thing in him. He gets beat. Oh, yeah. yeah. The control rod. So, yeah. um, uh, again, this is a little weird because Belbe, like, went up there to talk to him, but she just left, and I guess she was going to chat with him later. So. <laughs> oh, looks like just you're in case, I'll just Just in go. case anyone was like, why didn't she, why did she just leave? And I don't know. Again, sorry, guys. So. Yeah, they were, like, off, off the beaten path from the corridor, and then it's just like, she's not there. Okay, bye. No, she was there, and she was she she. Grevin introduced her to Fura, but then she left, and then Grevin and Fura had that exchange. So I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, later on that day, the ten disguised rebels with Elodomri as their fake prisoner arrived at the stronghold outskirts. The group consisted of six doll led by Tynal Endal, Darset's nephew. Remember, there's a lot of names, and four Vec following Lin Sivi. 
They were all wearing discarded uniforms of stronghold soldiers, and in the center of the group was Ella Domery, clothed in nothing but rags, enemy blood, and shackles. Mm, you know, to hot. Look, to look more like a beaten prisoner. Sure. Uh, and he also carried a copy of the shackle key and could free himself, if necessary. Uh, as the group approached the stronghold, they encountered a group of about 100 corps heading in the other direction. The group was a mix of women, children, and men. Ooh. Oh, spicy. <laughs> and they also carried a shrouded dead body on a makeshift stretcher. They greeted the, impost- uh, the imposters and told them they were a, a tribe called the Fishers of Men. They said right. they were migrating from the crater city because their leader... The core on the stretcher had been fatally wounded when he last went to meet the overlords of the stronghold. Eladomri had to know who was under the shroud, so he asked the core holding the stretcher if he could see, and when he pulled back the sheet, it was Fura. What? He's dead. R.I.P. Fura. I don't believe you. And then they cool. parted ways. He was on. He's on the stretcher. Read the book, guys. Come on. I've never. No, that's... I would never. He's coming back. He's <laughs> pretending to be dead. It's not actually. Him. I don't believe you. Yeah, it's something. Oh yeah, so, he's a spy. He's probably it's probably a decoy. A, yeah. a decoy body. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So it took them the rest of the night to reach the stronghold proper, and when they did, about three days had passed since the hostage massacre, and the proposed day had arrived for Balby to name a new Avancard. But before we move on to the end game of this story, we need to explain a couple of things that occurred in the stronghold that night. So you guys remember Dorian Ildal? The I think he's called like the Chamberlain. Well, he hadn't left his room since witnessing what Krovax did to the hostages because he was basically having a mental breakdown. Oof, rough. Uh, He couldn't remember things. He couldn't think straight. uh, And he was probably suffering from post-traumatic stress. Uh, But what finally drew him out of his room was hunger. I get that, man. I mean, this like it's like you're describing me. (laughs) This this boy needs to think about his hunger. (laughs) so he began wandering the halls looking for food but like i mentioned he couldn't remember where anything was (laughs) i'm I'm hungry but i don't know where my snacks are also sounds like me so he eventually he (laughs) ran into a guard that gave him a couple of biscuits and directions to the mess hall but after the guard left dorian forgot the directions what is going on also like these guards just walk around with biscuits (laughs) so so after the biscuits he was terribly thirsty so he kept wandering door to door these biscuits are making me thirsty (laughs) wrapping and jiggling handles until one opened and he was grabbed and pulled inside Dorian discovered that Krovax and his corps sergeants were planning their potential raid on the naming ceremony the following day and they certainly couldn't let him leave um, and he wants to keep a prisoner, right? That's just hard work. So Krovax killed him, and he also killed one of his sergeants who was still in Grevin's pocket. Um, and it's just like a whole thing that we don't really need to get into. I probably didn't even need to mention it. Um, just, so he, just killed, he killed Dorian? Yeah, he killed him because Dorian saw what they were doing, and he's like, well, we're not going to keep you prisoner till tomorrow morning because that's just like who wants to keep a prisoner? You got to have a room for it, place, you know. Got to keep him tied up. Got to maybe have a guard, you know. So just like, just kill him and hide the body. Dorian's like, don't worry, I won't remember anyway. Want a biscuit? <laughs> no, he ate the biscuits. The biscuits are gone. Oh right, right. He's thirsty. He's thirsty. Right. Forgot. These biscuits are making me thirsty. Exactly. <laughs> so next up that night we have Erte. Uh, he spent that night 
in a little used part of the stronghold library, learning anything he could before the ceremony. He'd long since deduced that even with his expanded magical knowledge and his continued treatments in Volrath's healing device, he was no match for Krovax when it came to their respective command of Flowstone. And as he sat there, dejected, he thought that maybe if he abdicated his chance at becoming Evankar, Krovax might show him mercy, maybe even let him use the erratic portal to escape wrath. Like, dude, are you nuts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is. <laughs> but if he was allowed to do that, he certainly wouldn't travel home to Dominaria. He knew, like Belve, that it wouldn't be long before Dominaria was a full-scale war zone. But if he couldn't make it to the portal canyon, there was always Belve's portal. If he could convince her to escape with him, they could travel anywhere in the multiverse. Surely Phyrexians couldn't be on every plane. Yeah, they probably could. Um, you could go to Zendikar. It's pretty safe there. There you go. There you go. Uh, so deciding on his next move, he left the library to look for her. Hmm. So getting back to the, the day of the naming ceremony, the morning of the naming ceremony day, Elodomri and his rebels arrived at the stronghold's main concourse with little fanfare. After they sold their story about them being part of the fourth company and how they'd caught Elodomri to the soldiers on guard, they ordered. They were ordered to take the prisoner to Lord Grevin. Then the soldiers sent a runner to find Grevin and inform him of the news. Um, but I think the runner just told everybody on his way to find Grevin because when they were because as they moved through the stronghold, they were intercepted by a full battalion of heavy infantry led by Grevin himself. Tynel told Grevin a similar story to the one he'd given the soldiers outside. Then Grevin and Elodomri just kind of stared at one another while the hallway got very quiet and this is from the novel he was a good two feet taller than the elf yet as they sized each other up a kind of equality existed between them not respect but recognition that each was a formidable warrior i think they might be best friends did we just become best friends yep yep oh my god <laughs> do you want to go play karate in the garage yep <laughs> Grevin then ordered he be taken to the factory concourse by some of the infantrymen, infantrymen, which was something Lin Sivy took exception to, claiming Elodomri was their prisoner and they wanted the appropriate reward and recognition for capturing him, to which Grevin replied, All you have earned will be yours. This is the word of Grevin Ilvek. Then he stood aside and let Tynel and Sivy lead Elodomri deeper into the stronghold. Belby, meanwhile, was looking for Erte and Dorian Eldal, but could find no sign of either. She did, however, notice all the commotion in the Citadel and asked a group of a dozen or so guards passing by about it. They told her of Elodomri's capture and that they were headed to the factory concourse to take Elodomri into custody. She interceded in those orders and instead told them to bring the prisoner to the convocation chamber. And then she left the guards and went to the convocation chamber to wait. When she arrived, she found Krovac standing on the ceiling waiting for her. She had time enough to inform him of Elodomri's capture before the large group of onlookers arrived for both the announcement and to get a look at the rebel leader. Everyone entered the chamber and Grevern brought his tribute to Belbe, who is sitting on the Evancar's throne. She stood up and walked to Elodomri while soldiers parted to let her through. Elodomri looked upon her face and she on his. His eyes widened, and a rush of blood flamed in his cheeks. Elodomri let out a roar of perfect rage, and though weighed down with thirty pounds of shackles and chains, 
he threw himself on Belby and bore her to the floor. She thought time had stopped. Everyone was fixed, like statues in Volrath's suite. The guards, hampered by their ceremonial garb. The ragged soldiers who captured Eladamri gaped. Krovax, hovering on the periphery of the scene, watched and smiled. Grevin, who always seemed on the knife's edge of violence, just looked with a curious passivity. They're going to let me die, she thought. They're going to let this madman kill me. Eladomri had both hands around her neck. Because of her gorget, he couldn't throttle her. So he raised her head and slammed it against the floor. It hurt, but only superficially. Her alloy skull could turn an axe blow. As it was, each time her head struck the floor, there was a dull metallic thud. Then, snapping out of their surprise, Sivi and the other rebels pulled Elodomri off her while he screamed his daughter's name. He eventually calmed enough to be brought to his feet, and after that, Belby ordered Grevin to interrogate him. That meant he was headed for the dungeons. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. To the dungeons! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Leaving Belbe, Krovax, and the crowd to wait for Belbe's decision, which wasn't forthcoming. Erte wasn't present, and at that point, he was still being considered for the position. So Belbe said she'd defer her decision until the following morning and ordered everyone out of the chamber. Cool. She's a real tease when it comes to naming an Evan car. He's just not there at that moment, so it's like, oh, it's a way to hold another day. Yeah, we got to find him, I guess. Takes a day. <laughs> so okay. it goes without saying that Krovax was upset about this. So in order to make sure Belbe would follow through, he gathered up his corps of sergeants, then found and tied Erte up as their hostage. Oh, shit. Which brings us to Eladomri's arrival at the spiral staircase leading to the dungeons. Prior to that, the group passed across a bridge with a faint view of the sky above, and Grevin, his inflection oddly respectful, said to Eladomri, Take a last look. You may not see daylight again. I will know the light far longer than you, Butcher. And that's where Grevin, the infantryman, and the palace guards parted ways with the disguised rebels. They were ordered to return to their company and told their reward for Elodomri's capture was forthcoming. Then the elf prisoner was taken down the stairs and into a cell similar to the one Erte was taken to at the beginning of this story. Once there, Grevin tortured him for hours, inflicting many of the same techniques on Elodomri as he had on Erte. Unlike the young wizard, though, Elodomri volunteered little information. Nice. Did I do the Elodomri voice nice? Was it like mm -hmm. Riley's? Uh, it wasn't. I mean, Riley has a different voice than you, so. Yeah. Did I? But I, I think I did I, it right. I think I think you pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, planning on returning for their leader once their secondary mission was completed, Tynel and Sivi split their ranks into two groups and spent the following few hours searching for Predator. The plan was that if one group found the airship, they were to get a signal to the other group, and once they'd rejoined each other, they would figure out a way to bring down the vessel for good. Does anyone else think, like, they should have brought, like, anything to help <laughs> take the ship down? Like, just anything? You know? They just... Even, like, you know, like, a hooks or something? It's just, like... like... A st like a stick, anything, you know. It's just like they're like, just like you know, a rock. Sticks are sticks are pretty helpful. <laughs> oh my goodness! So Tynal's group continued past the staircase into the lower parts of the citadel, while Sivi and her group went back the way they came. And by that point, Belbe had recovered from her violent encounter with Elodomri, and she was ready to get back to her plan. 
She decided that if Greven would back her up, she was ready to name Erte as Evancar. With him on her side, they would free Greven from the control rod and all team up to destroy Krovax. Then they would establish Wrath as a sovereign plane, no longer a puppet of Phyrexia. It's a pretty good plan. She knew that won't happen. <laughs> she knew he wouldn't take the decision lying down, Krovax. So before she went to search for the wizard, she stopped at the Evancar's suite of rooms to retrieve a special plasma rifle her masters had designed for the new Evancar. She planned to use it on Krovax if need be. Bad boy. Why didn't we ever get that as a like an equipment, like a Phyrexian yeah. plasma rifle? That'd be cool. I'm, I'm that surprised. Would be dope. Yeah, like yeah. There's been like no like super sci-fi things like that really no but they're coming so they're coming so if all that wasn't enough belbe thought that if eladomri was amenable to it he could have a position in the new wrathy order like secretary of the treasury or something i don't know mm. <laughs> so just like that she went looking for erte she'd gotten to the lifts at the end of the hallway outside the evancar suite when she was intercepted by Krovax and his sergeants who also had a bound and gagged erte in tow Krovax quickly grabbed the plasma rifle out of Belby's hand and punched her in the face, sending her reeling to the other end of the hallway. Krovax told her that he was taking the throne, whether she named him Evancar or not, and to make sure she would make the announcement the next morning. He imprisoned Erte in a giant block of flowstone, leaving only his head exposed, and Krovax threatened to crush him if Belby didn't follow through on their agreement. Um, then he and his sergeants filed out with Erte, leaving Belbe to rethink her plan. Shit. So by that point, Sivy and her group had found Predator moored in her dock above the Citadel, and the Mogs repairing it were in the process of installing the massive harpoon cannon on her forward deck. Sivy wanted to covertly board the vessel and try to damage her from the inside, but one of her Vec companions wanted to rendezvous with Tynal's group so they could try to destroy Predator with their combined forces. Sivy worried that by the time they found and brought Tynal's group to the airship docks, Predator might be gone. And she finally convinced them by telling them that if they destroyed Predator, it would create confusion and chaos throughout the stronghold, which would make it easier for them to rescue Eladomri. How wrong she was. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You're wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. So they did board the airship covertly, and they snuck below deck and found a group of four doll workmen wiping down brass power stone accumulators with rags soaked in mineral spirits and like just uh, just like a little shorts otherwise they were naked nice <laughs> listening to ymca mineral? mineral spirits it's like it's like spirits yeah i don't know what it it's it's flammable all right anyways um, <laughs> yeah <clears throat> is it like how like vodka is made from potatoes and other grains yeah. and like these Could particular be. spirits are made from metal uh or rocks right minerals right yeah could be so Sivy saw that when the the they saw the big bucket of mineral spirits and she saw that um the bucket they were soaking their rags in was empty and one of the doll men refilled it from a nearby cask which is like a keg if you don't know uh and she decided to use that to set predator ablaze who who knows if this mineral spirits light on fire? Uh they they smelled it. They could smell that it was flammable. You know when you smell something and you're like, that's flammable. <laughs> you can just you know, you've been around long enough you can so, tell. So you smell a tree, you're like, hmm, that's flammable. Well, no, you like that that <laughs> no, that, chem, yeah, no, that get, chemical f- you, yeah. You, okay. Yeah, no, like a fuel kind of thing. Like you yeah. smell axe body spray and you're like, That's flammable. Yeah, that's flammable. <laughs> I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> 
So when they were ready to ambush the workmen, they did and just like knocked them all out. And uh, they got to work spreading the mineral spirits all over the lower deck of Predator. But when it came time to ignite it, they didn't have a light. Because they didn't bring anything with them. Wow. They didn't bring any rocks. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. If you had two rocks, you could bang them together. Yeah, get a little little sparky spark going. Um, speaking of spraying stuff everywhere in box, Axe Body Spray. Did you guys ever used to, like in junior high, the guys in my school, they would spray Axe Body Spray all over these like cement walls that were painted. Mm-hmm. And like so that it was soaked and then you light it and like the walls on fire for like 10 seconds oh cool no i never <clears throat> never heard of that before yeah i, I remember my brothers making videos of like flame throwing <laughs> like action figures yeah <laughs> oh i definitely did that i definitely did that and the, and the fumes from that probably shortened our, our lives by a few years yeah um worth it so they didn't have a light and um while they were searching for something to set the fire they were noticed by a group of mogs. Uh, so one of them threw a heavy wrench at the group of rebels, hitting one of the doll in the forehead, sending him to the ground unconscious. Then a barrage of tools was thrown down at them from above deck, and a couple of zealous mogs jumped down into the compartment and beat the doll they'd hit with the wrench to death in front of Sivy and her four remaining companions. Ouch. Yeah. Beating people Ooh. to death is rough. It scares me. I think we... I think Talk we talked about, about that. that last episode, yeah. or maybe the first one. Anyways, it is rough. So, as more mogs entered the compartment, Sivy and one of her doll companions, Med, escaped into a deeper part of the airship, leaving their other two companions to deal with the army of mogs. Gotta go. Is his name Ned? Med. with oh. a Med as in... Medical? M- mother. <laughs> what? Not Ned as in Flanders. <laughs> Say no Ned Flanders. Like, I'm Sivvy, and this is my pal Ned. It's just funny. Anyways. No, it's Med with an M. I know it is. (laughs) Now. So they they didn't end up finding a light. So... Ridiculous. Yeah, they're all ridiculous. That's, like, why, that's why we're doing this. Belby went to go and talk to Grevin. Oh, gotta go. She left. No, gotta go. <laughs> we're gonna set this uh, this ship on fire. Oh, don't have a light. <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> gotta, gotta go. <laughs> so, like I said, they didn't end up finding a light, but Sivy and Med emerged near the front of Predator and decided that before they left, they would use the newly installed harpoon cannon on the airship itself. Uh, which wasn't too difficult because uh, they successfully sent a bolt right through the front of Predator from, and it went all the way from the top deck to the bottom deck. Certainly not nice. crippling the airship, but she would need more repairs before she could reliably fly again. And that's when the alarm was sounded. Um, I like the this, this Star Wars alarm. <laughs> that's like gotta be my favorite what's or your european, favorite alarm sound european ambulances yeah. wee, oh, wee. those Anyways. are good or like a car alarm like the ones that like cycle through like a different one where it's like wee, 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 oh i hate those ones whoop, I, want, I like the whoop, i like the whoop one. <laughs> just, like, just like pick one damn it. <laughs> so the uh the alarm wasn't just sounding in the uh airship dock area but throughout the entire stronghold, meaning that Grevin heard it in the dungeons, which happened to be right at the point in the torture session when our core friend Fura joined Grevin and Eladomri in the cell. He wasn't dead. 
Maybe he was. I don't know. Oh, is this happening? Thanks. This is happening in tandem to something uh, else already happened. No, this is after that. Uh, okay, then he's not okay. dead. Uh, but like <laughs> I mentioned earlier, Grevin had been unsuccessful in gleaning any information from the rebel leader, and that's um, that's when that's where Furrow came in. Furrow was something of a chemist and was experienced in the creations of potions and things like that. And methamphetamine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> so he offered to mix something to give to Eladarmi in order to get him to talk, a kind of truth serum. Hmm. But because of the alarm, Grevin put a stop to the interrogation, and he and Fura left to determine the cause of the sound. No. Uh, so in the chaos after the harpoon's discharge, going back to the airship docks, Sivy and Med were able to find their comrades. One of them had been killed by the Mogs, while the other one was senseless from his beating. <laughs> <laughs> Right, when then. you're senseless from your beating. <laughs> oh, that beating. Oh, that, is, <laughs> that beating that is really beating. got me. Oh. Me so, so Sivy and Med dragged, uh, dragged their beaten comrade from a heap of dead mogs, but as they escaped, he was hit twice with arrows from, near, from newly arrived palace guards and died while they carried him. R.I.P. Yeah, I didn't even give him names because these guys just like... Just get picked <laughs> off like crazy. Oh, man. So fortunately, Sivy and Med were able to escape with their lives. And after they headed back to the dungeons, uh, hoping to find Tynel and his group on the way. Speaking of Tynel's group, after they parted ways with Sivy, they descended into the lower parts of the Citadel in search of the airship docking station, which they didn't find. Uh, what they did find was the Flowstone Factory, and as they went deeper, they found dark tunnels that were too small to stand upright in, not to mention the air became hot, humid, and oppressive. It sounds awful. Oh, worst nightmare. They eventually came to the lowest part of the stronghold, where a series of tubes and tunnels ferried molten lava up into the Flowstone Works to be turned into, what else? Flowstone. Not finding Predator or any kind of airship dock and hearing the screaming alarm caused by Sivy's shenanigans, they returned to the dungeons as well, but not before losing one member of their party to uh, weird creatures that lived in the bowels of the structure and uh, the other two to uh, mysterious disappearance, leaving Tynel and his cousin Garnon as the only survivors of their group. <laughs> <laughs> mysterious disappearance and in case you're wondering the novel uh, described the creatures as having an egg-shaped body about the size of a water pail walking on two legs that <laughs> bent backward at the knee and covered in bare spotty skin without any discernible head um and just to give your imagination a bit more help they smelled like rotten meat so, what in the yeah. so they look like little egg people yeah, yeah. they stink <laughs> They sound lovely. So, uh, Tynel and Garnon got a bit turned around returning to the upper levels of the Citadel, and they ended up near the Convocation Chamber, where Krovax happened to be gathering troops to deal with the screaming alarm. Unfortunately for the rebels, they were conscripted into Krovax's makeshift company, and he was generous enough to fashion flowstone swords for them out of the wall. That's pretty good. be cool to see. Then they followed Krovax to the airship docks. By that point, Elodarmory was making quick work of the mimetic rope fastening his wrists and ankles to the frame of the chair he sat on. He did this by inching the chair close to a nearby table with a pitcher of water on it. He heaved himself and the chair at the table, knocking it over and smashing the pitcher on the floor. See, I would just break the chair. If you're tied to a chair, just break the chair. Anyways... <laughs> Lying on the floor, still tied to the chair, he used a shard from the broken pitcher to saw through the rope binding him. Mm. That's good, too. Pretty tricksy. Yeah. I mean, it could Once, be a really well-constructed chair. Well, it's a wooden chair. 
by the way. In this particular scenario, it's a wooden chair. So just break the chair. But you're right, Riley. It could be a well. It could be a well-made wooden chair. I've I've had some nice wooden chairs, so you're yeah. right. Yeah, you can have some sturdy ones. It doesn't have to be this rickety thing on like an IKEA chair. Yeah. It's made out of twigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so once he was free, he searched the room for anything useful. He found a cool branding iron that he slipped into his waistband to use as a weapon if he needed if the need arose. Then he then expecting to find another obstacle, he walked to the cell door. But he found it wasn't locked. And why wouldn't Grevin have locked it, he wondered. Weird. Yeah. It's a trap. Mm, it might be. <laughs> so he opened the door and hobbled into the hallway. There was no one, and he was senseless from his beating, too. <laughs> 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 there was no one in sight. And as he looked both ways down the corridor, his gorilla instincts gave him an idea. Never overlook an opportunity to cause maximum trouble for your enemy. It's good advice. So, going to the door next to his cell, he opened a small slot at the bottom of the door for meal trays and beckoned the prisoner inside to answer him. Instead of a voice, Elodomri's ankle was seized by a large red tentacle that burned his skin on contact. Oof. Don't worry, though, because (laughs) after a few well-aimed blows with the branding iron, the tentacle retracted under the cell door and he continued down the hallway. The following three cells were either empty or the occupants couldn't or wouldn't respond to his summons. But at the fifth door, he could hear someone softly singing. So he he beckoned to whoever it was, asking, Are you human in there? Are you human out there? I am a sky shroud elf. A prisoner as you are. I'll let you out. Uh, There was no answer to that, so Elodomri used the branding iron to break the door's lock, and he entered the cell to find who else but Takara Undal. (gasps) Yeah. Wow. And it's really really her this time. No way. Yep. So for all Borath's deceptions, he was telling the truth about Takara's whereabouts. Yeah, he really blew it, Stark. Wow. Yeah. So, anyways, Elodomri explained his situation to her, and she was on board for escaping, uh, emaciated though she was. But just when they were about to leave the dungeons, the screaming alarm finally ceased. It had been part of the background for so long, its sudden secession seemed louder than the, no- than the noise had been. In its place, they heard footfalls echoing along the curving corridor. Elodomri and Takara quickly hid in the open doorway of her cell, his branding iron ready to strike when the footfalls reached the cell door. He swung, narrowly missing Carino's face. And Carino was one of the disguised doll rebels that had been separated from Tynal's group, and he also had another one of Tynal's cousins, Seamus, with him. Those are the two guys that mysteriously disappeared. Oh. Kevin Wink. I don't know why I winked. They did mysteriously disappear. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Can't see a wink. <clears throat> and Seamus is Irish. I don't think his, he has any lines, but if he, I should have put some in here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm regretting that now. Irish. <laughs> so Elodomri asked about the rest of their party, but the two doll men didn't have any idea what had happened to them. And that's when Takara suggested they hide in a quiet, out-of-the-way spot until the chaos in the Citadel died down a bit. The map room. It's in the next building over. Before you get to the Mogwarns, it's for the Evancar's use only, so no one goes there much. And when they asked how she knew her way around the stronghold, she explained who her father was and what his relationship had been to the last Evancar. Having no better option, they followed Takara to the map room. So there were a couple of obstacles on their way to the map room, but with Carino and Seamus dressed in stronghold military garb, they were able to pass through checkpoints with their prisoners without too many questions. Anyway, 
If you remember our Wrath and Storm series, the map room Takara took the Rebels to was the same one Gerard, Krovax, and Miri st had stumbled upon in that story. And just like those characters, Eladarmory was shown the true purpose of Wrath. Takara hmm. used her knowledge of the Phyrexian projector to show Eladarmory and the other Rebels the proposed invasion of Dominaria using the Wrathy overlay. Uh, and if you're wondering how she knew about all this, just assuming Stark told her about it, so... Anyways, <laughs> the, the, the tidings the Oracle on Vex shared with Elodomri were starting to make more sense after Takara used the projector device to show the rebels first Wrath, then Dominaria, and Elodomri had heard, Elodomri had heard of the plane from Gerard and the rest of Weatherlight's crew when they had arrived on Wrath, but Takara also informed them that the ancestor of every Wrathy native came from Dominaria, something we also mentioned um, have mentioned before and something um so lastly she told them that she'd heard even the phyrexian overlords had come from dominaria and that was why they yearned to return to it which i get i'm like i'm kind of like a homebody you sometimes know? you just yearn to return like you to know be, yeah you you're do. like i still go home yeah that's me that's pretty much me anytime i leave home i just I saw a fantastic <laughs> quote uh and it's like when I was a teenager, I used to sneak out of the house to go to parties. Now I sneak out of parties to go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, with some of our heroes in a, relati a relatively safe position, we need to take a step back and explain what Belbe was up to when the alarm ceased. She was making another adjustment to the production in the Flowstone Works. Hearing it, she quickly erased any trace, the alarm, she quickly erased any trace of her work and traveled to the upper level of the Citadel, where thousands of army troops had gathered. She saw that they were taking orders from one of Krovax's sergeants, which worried her. She's, she'd promised Krovax the throne, but that was just a ploy to save Erte's life. Uh, she still planned to go through with her plan, that she planned. She planned to do taking, a plan that she planned. Of taking Wrath in a new direction, but if Krovax was taking control of the stronghold by force, she was out of options. Uh-oh. So she easily picked out Grevin and Krovax in the chaos and inquired about the troops. They basically explained that because of what occurred on the airship docks, the soldiers were massing to potentially put down a Mog rebellion. Uh, they were still unaware of who actually caused the damage to Predator, and when Sivy and Matt escaped, the Mogs claimed Stronghold soldiers were good for the attack. So they started attacking the Dahl dock workers and soldiers, and then they had thousands of angry Mogs to deal with. Uh, a beneficial and unintended consequence for our heroes. Whoa. Yeah, that's just a whole mess. And that's when a nearby Nasser beckoned Krovax away from Belby and Grevin's position. She used that opportunity to share her plan with Grevin. Before we get to the next excerpt, though, it's important to mention that as Krovax's control over Flowstone grew stronger, he also became more skilled at manipulating Grevin's control rod, something he'd been right. doing with increasing cruelty since their initial encounter. So, from the novel. The time has come for plain speaking. Krovax has been pressuring me to name him Evan Carr. After many threats and some violence, I've agreed to do so tomorrow afternoon in the Convocation Hall. I've wondered why you've delayed this long. At first, I wanted him to prove himself worthy. Later, I became afraid of what he would do when total power was his. I saw what he did to the hostages. I was there. It troubled him no more than you or I swatting a fly. I discovered he gains power when life is extinguished. 
He absorbs the life force of dying beings into himself. Don't you see? This guarantees people will continue to die. We will all die sometime, Excellency. What's the matter with you? Of all people, I expected you to understand. He torments you. He mocks you. It will only get worse. Can't you see that? Have you no ambition for yourself, Grevin? If we could forge an alliance against Krovax, we could change things on Wrath. Krovax is too powerful. He controls the Flowstone. Erte has influence over the stone too. Not as great as Krovax's, but sufficient to even the odds if you and I attack him together. Where is Erte? Krovax's men are holding him prisoner. Then he's a dead man. No, give me your word. Promise you'll join us against Krovax, and I'll find Erte this night and free him. I cannot. There is more at stake here than you know, Excellency. I cannot act as you ask. My loyalties are committed. I don't believe it. I know you hate him. Can it be that you're afraid of him as well? I'm not free to act, Excellency. I never have been. Though I command armies and the flag on Predator's Bridge is mine, I do not command myself. I'm sorry. Then Grevin stalked off, headed back to the airship docks, leaving Belbay with one last option for an ally, Eladomri. <gasps> Fun. Hey, good old Aladon. Yeah, he always also, comes through in a pinch. <laughs> this uh, combat photo you have looks like Shredder. Shredder. Oh, yeah, it does, right? I was right? totally thinking that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, before she went to find Eladomri, uh, she had to find Erte and make sure he was safe. Um, but after looking for him, she wasn't able to find him, so she decided to just beeline it uh, for Eladomri. But before that, she had to... Uh, name the next Avancar. So she got to work gathering everyone who'd need to attend such a ceremony and made sure the portal communication device linked to the overlords on Phyrexia was ready to go. And by that point, Lin Sivy and Med had reunited with Tynal and Garnon. Garnon. Sivy explained the situation with Predator and knowing there was no way they would get close to the airship after what had happened, they decided to return to the dungeons, rescue Eladomri, and escape the stronghold. But when they reached the cell, they made quick. When they reached the cell, they made quick work of the locked door and found the elf tied to a chair. And I know what you guys are thinking. Didn't he? Didn't he untie himself? Didn't he try uh, to break the chair? <laughs> but regardless, was he senseless from his beating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He tied himself back up. Yeah, yeah he's so senseless. Like, I don't beating. know what to do. Are those biscuits? <laughs> My mouth is so dry. <laughs> so they untied him, uh, and while they did that, they heard stronghold guards approaching. In one fluid motion, Sivy was at the doorway, peeking into the hallway. She saw 15 stronghold guards approaching. And that's when Tyanel noticed the freshly freed Eladomri's difference in height. He'd always known the elf leader to be no more than a hair taller than him, but this elf was more than six inches taller. As he noticed Whoa. that, the bruised and burned features of Eladomri's face began to fade, and Tynel raised his sword to strike the imposter. <gasps> An imposter! Yeah, dun, not dun, senseless. <laughs> Tynel was too slow, and the imposter caught his wrist and proceeded to break his forearm, causing him causing his sword to fall to the floor. Then the imposter, still holding Tynel's wrist, picked up his sword and thrust it through his chest. R.I.P. Tyno. Oh dead. no. Yeah, he's not kind. He's not like fake dead no, like it sometimes. I bet he <laughs> that that's that's a real death. Yeah. 
So Sivy watched this happen from the hallway and was able to use her Totenvec to open a bloodless cut in the imposter's neck. And um, that's like, <clears throat> it's basically like a big like knife at the end of a, at the end of a rope mm. um, that the doll people developed and like a, a weapon they mastered because there's so little metal on Wrath. So cool. the metal, like, you know, they can't make like big swords. Uh, anyways, yeah. by that point, the guards had reached the cell and were fighting the rebels. Fortunately, the hallway was too narrow for the guards to abuse their superior numbers. But now they had to worry about the thing in the cell as well as the guards. Sivy and Med stood back to back and she waited for the false Eladarmi to emerge. She was surprised to see Greven Ilvec walk into the hallway from the cell. She knew it was the same thing as this version of Greven had the same cut she just inflicted. Mm. Seeing their military commander, the palace guard stopped fighting and asked Greven what his orders were. He told them to keep fighting until the rebels were dead. Then he backed away, opened the cell door next to Elidomri's and said, I'd love to remain and watch the fight, but I have an appointment with Lord Krovax. In my place, I leave you a Jaleric. So, remember that tentacle that grabbed Eladomri earlier? Oh, I remember. Yeah. Well, it belonged. It was burning. <laughs> it was burning. <laughs> it belonged to a fat, red, wallowing torso with several tentacles attached to it. In the center of its massive body, it had what might have been a mouth, an obscene star-shaped orifice rimmed with oily gray skin and drooling pink saliva. Gross. Yeah. It grabbed Grevin's ankle as he made his leave, but he just stomped on the tentacle a couple of times and the Jaleric released him. Then he took off down the hallway. The fighting ceased as they all watched the thing advance on them, the palace guards muttering among themselves. And that's when they heard Grevin call out in the distance. You have only to keep the rebels from escaping. Otherwise, you can leave them to the Jaleric. And that's what the guard captain planned to do. But Sivy didn't think the Jaleric could tell friend from foe. And when she asked the captain who he thought the thing would go after once they were dead, he understood that they were all in the same danger. So for <laughs> forming a temporary alliance, the rebels and palace guards ran from the tentacle monster. Some, some of the palace guards weren't the fastest and they were caught under the advancing girth of the beast, which actually slowed it down because it was digesting those men. Girth. Hmm. Jalera Girth. Actually, that'd be a pretty <laughs> a pretty sweet Instagram handle for you, Eric. You could be like Jell Eric. Jell, yeah. It's a, like deep, Jell. it's a deep cut reference. It's definitely a deep cut reference. <laughs> keep, keeping it jelly. Yeah, keeping it jelly. Nice. That's actually good. That could be your little headline. Um, last time <laughs> we were we were talking about the word Riley, like W R Y L Y. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That would be yeah. such a good Instagram handle for you, Riley. You could be Riley Riley. Yeah, Aww. that is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. So when the combined group reached the end of the hallway, their paths bifurcated, and the rebels eventually found themselves at the bridge that led to the dungeon tower. And that's when they ran into Carino and Seamus again. They were standing watch outside the tower, housing the map room. After a, qu a quick reconnoiter, it's one of my favorite words, they took Sivi, Garnon, and Med to see Eladomri and meet Takara. Once in the map room, each group explained to the other what they'd been through. Then they asked Takara what the best way 
out of the stronghold was. She explained that they had to go back through the citadel to escape. So what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at them sitting in a circle being like, man, I've been through some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this place sucks. <laughs> man, I lost my senses. <laughs> <laughs> She explained that they had to go back through the Citadel, so they altered their appearance as much as they could and returned to the Citadel. Actually, they had Takara cut off all her hair to make her look like a man, baby. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And I have a picture of that, like what she looks like at the the end. So uh, by that point, (laughs) Belby had gathered every courtier and dignitary that needed to be present for the swearing in of the next Evancar of Wrath. The only thing left to do was name Krovax and, of course, swear him in. So it was convenient when midday arrived and Krovax also arrived with his corps of sergeants marching in lockstep. Belbe was sitting on the Evancar's throne in her armor with a fresh power stone in her hidden plasma discharger and watched Krovax's procession approach. Grevin was also among them, and when he reached her, he joined her on the dais, finding a spot next to her throne in the crowded room. The mysterious Kor Fura had also found his way into the convocation chamber, and Belbe could see him staring at her nearby. Wink. Meow. <laughs> don't, don't you be staring at my nearby. <laughs> so when Krovax finally arrived at the throne, he stopped and bowed. Respect. Belbe then addressed the crowd and made sure that her plasma discharger was still at the ready. But before she could grab it or do anything else, there was a small disturbance at the rear of the chamber. (laughs) Rear. (laughs) It was the small magical retriever um, Erte had sent to find her, much like the giant bird he'd created. This was just like a little blue dog. Krovax, furious at the interruption, tried to snare the retriever with flowstone pincers called up from the floor, but they were far too slow for Urte's magic. They did, however, impale a few unlucky courtiers. Oh, God. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) When it it finally found its way to Belbe, she was entranced and had to follow it. Uh, And that's, that's how the magic works. That's love. And, like, it's a doggy. So, You're like, yeah. I gotta follow I that know, doggy. So, but, <laughs> so just, like, leaves the room, follows this dog. Ooh, yeah. a dog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Krovax, <laughs> Krovax tried to stop her, but Nasser explained about the magic. That's love, baby. Um, and, love magic. And he let her go. Then Nasser announced to the crowded room there would be a slight delay in the ceremony. <laughs> And that they should all wait patiently. It wasn't going to be another day this time. That's so funny. It's like, oh, sorry, everyone, that she's it's chasing after this dog. Meanwhile, three people who were hanging out in the crowd just got impaled by some shit. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that's so, quite unfortunate. When is the ceremony going to start? Well, their name like, was, their name was, you know, it's like, it's, it's, like, it's the culture. It's just a regular thing on Wrath. So then uh, Krovax took a seat on the throne and Nasser hurried after Belbe. So Belbe, um found Erte in the flowstone works. Krovax had placed the cube encasing him on a narrow piece of metal near the energy beam that programmed flowstone. He'd attached a pipe to the cube leading to one of the main flowstone conduits, causing the cube to slowly grow larger. When it grew too large to balance on the metal beam, it would topple and fall into the flowstone forge below, killing Erte. It's pretty clever, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's very Bond villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just kill him. You know, if you're going to... Anyways. <laughs> At first, she tried tearing at the cube with her hands, but the programmed flowstone wouldn't budge. Then, Erte told her to break the, cu- the tube, feeding fresh flowstone to it. 
And just as she was doing that, she heard footsteps approaching. Then Nasser appeared. He demanded that Belbe return to the convocation chamber immediately, but she wouldn't leave until Erte was safe. And of course, a fight ensued between the two of them. Ooh. Um, and remember, they're on a catwalk next to a massive energy beam making flowstone and above an ocean of molten rock. Uh, the fight was quick, no more than 10 or 15 seconds. And when it was over, Nasser was falling feet first into the furnace below. R.I.P. See ya, buddy. Yeah. I do my little turn on the catwalk. Right? That, well, the that's the last one. Yeah. <laughs> Erte watched the whole thing and was pleased that she won, but he still needed her to free him from the cube. So she went to the control center, found an axe uh, and a wedge and a sledgehammer, all with special flowstone wow. cutting tips. Uh, she went back to the cube and sti- and started with the axe. She found that after seven or eight strikes, she had been hitting so hard that both her shoulders were dislocated. Wincing from, oh. wincing from the pain, sort of like the end of the Ghost in the Shell. You guys ever seen that movie when she's trying to get into the tank? No? My no. Oh, it's been a while. Anyway, I saw it with you in theaters. I cannot remember. Oh, it. not that one. The like what that movie's based on. Uh, the like the original, one, the, the like nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, it's early nineties. Yeah, um, but it's yeah. good. It's on Netflix. Check it out if you have. Uh... Anyways, so, good film. Yeah. So, um, wincing from the pain of her dislocated shoulders, she slowly climbed atop the cube and rested her face next to Erte's and said, "I can't do it. Not with these tools." I'm sorry, Erte. It's all right. I'm about God anyway. Is the uh, photo of the gelatinous cube supposed to be the... Yeah, I just wanted like a, I just wanted a cube for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I was like, why are we have Forgotten Realms here? And I was like, all right, I get it. Belby had more to say, but when Erte didn't answer, she tried to pull him out of the cube. He'd been somewhat successful in loosening the flowstone up against his body. And that's where Belby shoved her hands. She found his shoulders and pulled. And that's when Krovac showed up, taunting her with an offer of assistance. He'd teleported to the works and was glowing in his all-white coronation outfit. Belby demanded that he release Erte, and again, Krovac agreed on one condition. He agreed to dissolve the cube and leave Erte where he was if she returned at that moment to the convocation chamber and finished the ceremony. And that still left Erte in a precarious position as he would be dangerously close to the energy beam. Either way, she agreed and Krovax promptly melted the cube with Belbe still atop it. They ended up on the floor in each other's arms and Erte had time to tell her they needed to use her portal to escape before Krovax pulled her away and teleported to the convocation chamber. So that answers the question uh, that I think somebody posed last episode, if he could take stuff with him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And obviously I already knew that, but just forgot. Uh, I read this book a while ago. So anyways, uh, by that point, the rebels had re-entered the Citadel with ease, but it wasn't long before they reached a garrison of soldiers blocking their way. They were still dressed in stronghold military garb, and they almost made it past the garrison. But as they were leaving, the garrison lieutenant asked them what company they were from for, you know, his report. And for some reason, Eladomri changed the company they'd been using since they entered the stronghold and told the lieutenant they were from the 10th company. And wouldn't you know it, that was the company that the garrison was from. And they're like, you guys aren't in our company. They're the, <laughs> they're the rebels. What a zany turn of events. No, I'm kidding. Just keep your story straight. So they knew. Yeah. So they knew they were the rebels and moved to imprison or kill them. Luckily, there was a small wall of crates with a path through it to their right, 
and the rebels were able to escape through it and into the upper parts of the citadel. Sivi kept the soldiers from following them immediately by killing several of them with her totenbeck and collapsing the crates uh, once she was through it. It's my stuff here. It takes a minute to load. Uh, her weapon ended up being stuck under a heavy crate, and while she was trying to free it, she was overtaken by soldiers that had climbed over the collapsed crates, and uh, she was stabbed a couple of times before, before being disarmed, captured, but still alive. Mm. Or maybe she's dead. I don't know. R.I.P. No, she's fine. <laughs> you can't just toss Jeez. out an R.I.P. So um, the rest of the rebels continued to advance through the upper levels of the citadel. At one point, they encountered more guards. They killed most of them, while a few ran from the hard-fighting rebels. Unfortunately, though, Garnon was also killed in the melee. Sorry, Pete Garden. We hardly knew you. <laughs> uh, so they continued to advance and eventually made it to the Dream Halls. By that point, they were being hunted by hundreds of stronghold guards and soldiers, and with nowhere else to run, they hid in Volrath's formerly private chamber and locked the door behind them. Not so private anymore yeah <laughs> everyone was still present when Krovax and Belbe returned to the convocation chamber Belbe took her place on the Evancar's throne and she was about to name Krovax Evancar when from the crowd someone shouted stop so they just can't it's you know it's just like name the Evancar lady it was the core fura he approached Krovax with Greven at his side Krovax was furious and threatened Greven with unimaginable pain by way of the control rod but Greven showed no outward sign of pain when he tried to inflict it. You're not the only one who commands the control rod. What you order, another can countermand. For Fora then explained he'd been looking forward to meeting Krovax for a long time, and when he asked who the hell the core was, Fura showed him. As he walked closer to the dais, he removed his robe, and his small feline body transformed into the former Evancar. Wrath. Nice. Yeah, uh, he's back. Hell yeah. Meow. <laughs> Volrath's back. So the two of them then had a flowstone tete-a-tete, sort of like uh, Yoda and Count Dooku at the end of um, Attack of the Clones. And <laughs> that movie's rough. But it was clear <laughs> that their contest wouldn't be decided by their respective command of flowstone. So Belby told them that if they competed in a duel, the winner would be named Evancar. That was something Volrath wasn't interested in, as he assumed he was still the rightful ruler of Wrath. The I stepped, what does he say? I stepped out, I didn't step down. It's a good line. Yeah. Um, and uh, Belby explained what their overlords on Phyrexia thought of his desertion to deal with personal matters, uh, and he agreed to the contest. Krovax wasn't happy about the turn of events either, but he was confident he could defeat anyone. Oh. Hmm. So, each got a sword and a shield, and the duel began. Greven stood beside Belbe during the duel to discourage any attempt on her life by the combatants. The fight was long and kind of tedious, the book, and it's tedious in the book, and one point, Krovax <laughs> cut straight down Bullrath's back, leaving a gaping wound, and it didn't take him out of the fight, though. Shortly after that, Erte made his way to the coronation chamber and crawled his way to the edge of the crowd to watch. Erte noticed that every time it seemed like Volrath was getting the upper hand, Krovax would murder a few nearby onlookers, absorbing their life energy. He realized that Krovax's victory was a foregone conclusion, and the only way to potentially save his own life was to help Krovax win. Using magic, he created space between Volrath's sword strikes and Krovax's body. 
Eventually, Volrath tired, giving Krovax the upper hand. And just then, some soldiers entered the chamber to inform Balbe the rebels were cornered in the dream halls. She tried to call the fight off, but Krovax wouldn't have it, so he so he pushed his advantage. The fight ended with Krovax holding Volrath against the ground by the neck. And that's when Belbe reluctantly named Krovax Evancar of Wrath. Did Shit. It. Yeah. You guys, are you guys surprised? Probably not if you know the cards. but I'm surprised. Yeah. So as Krovax himself said, all that's left is the coronation. Yeah. He looks creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he looks funny. It is weird artwork, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like holding Vorath by his like little head tail. I like that. Yeah, his little scruff. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Krovax wanted to kill the former Evancar, but Balbe stopped him, explaining his life now belonged to the overlords. So, he ordered his men to chain him up, put a bag over his head, and hang him from the ceiling uh, by the feet. Then, he warned them that if the nearby flowstone moved an inch, they were to chop Vorath's head off. Uh, for Erte's part, he'd fallen unconscious from his flowstone ordeal, his crawl to the convocation chamber, and finally using his last bit of strength to help Krovax win the fight. Uh, while Vorath was restrained, Belbe ordered a few soldiers to carry Erte to the laboratory for another healing infusion. <laughs> With all that taken care of, Krovax, Belbe, and Grevin headed for the dream halls to oversee the hundreds of soldiers that were already massed there. The rebels hadn't been in the dream halls long before the mass of soldiers arrived outside, the only entrance. There were no demands for them to surrender. All they heard was the slow and steady hammering of the battering ram the soldiers used in an attempt to break the door down. Once that didn't work, they tried explosives, but after the dust cleared, the door was unscathed. I guess Volrath didn't want anyone accidentally stumbling in there. And that's when Krovax, Belbe, and Grevin arrived on the scene among the rows of soldiers. They noticed one one of the rebels tied up and bleeding. It was Lin Sivy. Krovax ordered the men to try the battering ram a few more times, although it made just as little impression on the door as it had before. After 26 more strikes, Grevin ordered the winded soldiers to stand down. Then Krovax offered the Phyrexian plasma discharger to Belbe, asking her to try that one on the door. He wasn't worried about her using it on him because he explained he could simply absorb the energy. So she fired at the door, and when the smoke cleared, not even a scratch. You guys believe that? <laughs> this door. Belby decided she'd try a softer touch. She ordered Krovax, Grevin, and the rest of the soldiers to clear ten yards out from the door and leave her alone with the rebel prisoner. Once they were alone, Belbe brought Sivi to her feet, walked to the door, and rapped on it lightly. This is from the novel. Who's there? Belbe, the emissary. What do you want? You're trapped in there. There's no way out. I've come to help you. Why should you help us? Wherever I come from, I'm flesh like you. I no longer believe in my master's goals. The people of Wrath deserve to live in freedom. Then, as proof of her sincerity, she offered to return Sivi to them, so long as they would allow her and Sivi to enter the chamber. Eladam repressed her further over how exactly she planned to help them, but she wouldn't explain until they let her in. So they opened the door, and just as another example of what a piece of garbage Krovax was, um, as Belbley was about to enter the chamber, he leveled the plasma discharger at the back of her head from 10 yards away and fired. Luckily, um, Eladamri jerked her through the open door, causing her to stumble, and the plasma bolt missed its target. So, oh boy. All good. 
Wow. Once they were inside, the rebels quickly closed the locked door. Then Eladomri explained to Belbe who she was to him, or used to be. Then he got really upset and tried to kill her again. And she easily disarmed <laughs> him, though, and pin- pinned him to the ground and said, I've come here to undo the cause for which I was created. I can get you out of here safely if you want. That's all I'm offering. And then this is Takara, not Eladomri, just so everyone's on the same page. And how do you propose to get us out of here? I have an emergency exit. Let me show you. She found the two boxes she'd hidden weeks earlier, opened them, and assembled the portal device. She explained that the power stone powering it was only capable of transporting a maximum of 400 pounds of material on a one-way trip. The rebels knew that combined, they were a lot heavier than that. And Belby explained (laughs) that she wasn't like, and there's probably a fatty in there. Belby explained (laughs) that she wasn't going and they'd have to work out the rest for themselves. As she continued to calibrate the machine, she asked them where they wanted to go. Their first thought was Sky Shroud, but Belby explained she couldn't send them anywhere on Wrath with a transplanar portal. She could only send them to another plane. Hmm. As they let that revelation sink in, they discussed further who would be making the trip. They all agreed that no matter what, Eladomri had to escape, and when the portal was stable, Belbe asked what destination she should input. There was a long silence. Then Eladomri said, Dominaria. I was, I was thinking of like it's something funny to say, but I, I got nothing. He explained, that, <laughs> he explained that Dominaria was the target of Phyrexian aggression and the people there should be warned. Plus, traveling to another world to save his people was exactly what the Oracle told him he needed to do. Hmm. Better listen oh, to the yeah. Oracle. Yeah. So she set the coordinates, and that's when Erte arrived to find the gathered soldiers outside the dream halls. He found Grevin and explained what Belby was doing in there and that they had to stop her. Then he told Krovax the same thing. Furious at the possibility that Belby would use the portal to help the rebels, the Evancar condemned everyone in the Dream Halls to death and brazenly strode with Grevin, Erte, and his soldiers in tow to the hall's entrance. He couldn't manipulate the door because it wasn't made of flowstone, but he used his command of the flowstone around the door to seismically warp the citadel's walls, floors, and ceiling. Hmm. Inside, loose dream-catching scaffolding fell to the ground and the massive door showed its first signs of damage. The assault on the door continued until Krovax used all his strength and had to ask his men to continue pushing on the door. It wasn't long before the combined strength of 400 men was tearing the door apart. And that was just... What? How do you get four hundred men? You just—they're on—they're on on each other's. They're like in a big pyramid, I guess. (laughs) It's a—it's a big door. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're like pushing on each other, you know. It's like you push on me, I'll push on the door. The door's like, like, ah, you're tearing me apart. I wish I could quit you. So that was just about the time Belbe locked the portal's destination and told the rebels it was now or never. When it came to who would make the trip to Dominaria, Eladomri was a certainty. The other rebels decided that Sivi should go as well. She was in no shape to fight, and Eladomri would need a protector in the wars to come. You know, like later when she's better. Um, but before they could decide who else would go, Takara ran past them and jumped into the portal. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah, they saw her on the other side, running into a lush meadow under a blue sky. Then Belbe beckoned Eladomri to go as well. But he had one last thing for the one who was once his daughter. 
Remember the poison used on her at the top of the story? I was thinking about that. I'm like, when is this going to come back? The poison Eladomri retrieved from her bed? Well, he'd been carrying it since then, and just then, at that point, he pulled it from his tunic, removed the lid, and splashed it toward her. Most of it landed on her armor, but a single drop landed on her cheek, killing her instantly. <gasps> yeah. What? Uh, but it wasn't an act of revenge. He thought it, of it as a mercy. Oh, my God. Yeah. R.I.P. Belvy. No. I mean, and that's, right at the, yeah, that's just fair. Like, like she, <laughs> she has. I don't been... think she wanted to have to go through all that stuff. Yeah, no. no she's not. kind of just a puppet in all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right at that moment, the soldiers broke the door down and came pouring in. Seamus, Med, and Garnon tried to hold them off, but it only took a few breathtaking seconds for them to fall to the overwhelming number of stronghold soldiers attacking them, like the giant pyramid of soldiers. But they bought they but they were able to buy their leader the seconds he needed to escape with one last look at his daughter's face. He stepped through the portal into Dominaria. And that's Takara with short hair. Or yeah, I think. Maybe that's oh, I don't know, maybe yeah. that's Lincivy. I'm not sure. No, no well that's gotta be Takara because Takara ran yeah. through the portal. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways. Cro- Grevin, Krovax, Erte, and the rest reached the device just as the t- the uh, and of course um, Lincivy also also jumped through the portal too. Wait, so how, Gre- but what about the whole four hundred pounds thing? <laughs> well, Takara is emaciated, so she's probably like she's probably like a hundred pounds soaking wet. Okay, um, okay. Ella Domri's like an elf, so he's little, and then Lin. I mean, Lincivy's like wiry. Like she, there's there's no way she's more than like hundred and fifty pounds. Okay, so I think it. I think it works. Um, I think three three people works. Yeah. So um, Grevin, Krovax, Erte, and the rest reached the device just as the portal winked out of existence. Krovax was upset, but he'd also achieved what he'd come to Wrath to achieve. So once things were settled in the dream halls, he ordered a couple of guards to bring Erte before him. The young wizard was devastated by Belby's death. Yeah. Yeah. And probably just as devastated that he was stuck on Wrath again. So he didn't really care if he lived or died. But Krovax decided to spare his life if Erte agreed to serve him unconditionally. And maybe it was the dark energies from the infuser, or being so wrapped up in the villainy of the stronghold, or maybe it was just Erte. But in that moment, he saw an opportunity. He could serve Krovax, he thought. And if Wrath truly was the front for an invasion of Dominaria, he might be able to take revenge on those that left him here. Wow. So, for reasons known only to the Evancar, he decided to give Belbe a public, stately funeral. A few days after the events in the Dream Halls, he'd gathered everyone of consequence to witness and celebrate her life. This was also the event he used to execute Volrath. Everyone assumed Krovax had killed Volrath shortly after his defeat, but he'd kept him prisoner and had his technicians work on him. They had been somewhat successful in removing most of his Phyrexian enhancements, and what was left looked more like Vool than the former Evancar. And that's what they called him too, his his old name. Hmm. So a funeral pyre had been erected near the main causeway leading to the stronghold. The, proche- the procession carried Balbe to, to it, followed by the chain Vool, followed by the Corps of Sergeants, followed by the hooded executioner, followed by a final contingent of palace guards. The guards carrying Belbe stopped and placed um, her on the bier. A post was erected next to it, and Vool's manacled hands were fastened to it above his head. Then Grevin arrived overhead, helming Predator. Lastly, Krovax teleported to the head of the crowd and made his first speech as Evancar. Evancar. 
People of wrath, this is a solemn occasion. We are here to celebrate death, and celebrate we should, because death is an essential to life as food, warmth, or breath. Death is the great measuring rod against which we gauge our lives. And before us today are two whose lives have come to their end. The emissary of our overlords accomplished much in her short life. She should, be, she should always be remembered for bridging the awkward and dangerous interregnum. Interregnum? Yeah, you got it. She should always be remembered for bridging the awkward and dangerous interregnum between my reign and that of the previous Evancar. Then he walked over to the executioner, who's actually Erte, and commanded him to kill Vula. Before doing so, he removed his hood and cloak, but the once cocky wizard had been changed. Modifications, not unlike Revan's, had made the man taller and wider. From under his heavy robe, Erte produced not two, but four arms. And his face was partially concealed from view by a metallic mask and shoulder plating. Only his forehead, eyes, and the bridge of his nose could be seen by members of the crowd. The upper end of the control rod, implanted in Erte's spine, was also visible. The incision was still inflamed, but the yellow metal rod clearly showed through the boy's livid skin. Anyway, he produced a small leather case from his pocket and removed a syringe filled with silver liquid, something of Erte's own design. Before sticking Vool with it, Krovax asked him if he had any last words, but he had his tongue cut out the night before. Then Erte <laughs> jabbed the needle into Vool's carotid artery, and they all watched the substance do its lethal work. And it was basically a type of flowstone and er that Erte controlled. So it... Um, Vool tore against his manacles as convulsions racked his body. One by one, his toenails and fingernails sloughed off. The skin of his extremities split, and red blood, no longer glistening oil, ran out on the gray ground. His joints disintegrated, and his fingers fell off, joint by joint. Liquid Ooh. flowstone coursed through his veins, obeying Erte's last command, which was disassemble. The nanomachines attacked Vool from the inside, dismantling his body at a cellular level. His knees dissolved and his lower legs dropped away, leaving the former Master of Wrath dangling by his manacled wrists. Then his wrist came off and he fell to the ground. <sighs> R.I.P. of Vool. Jeez. Dang. That is a, what a way to go. That is a pretty fucked way to That's go. Pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. rough. And I like this last little excerpt from the book regarding Vool. Wu landed face upward, as his ears and nose slid from his face, as his teeth bubbled out of his mouth on the last breath from his lungs, he saw the ever-grey sky of wrath change to perfect cloudless blue. It was the sky of Dominaria, and Vool, son of Kondo, had returned home at last. Oh, so that's kind of nice, I guess. Still a jerk. Yeah. His knee's still <clears throat> melted. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know, regardless of everything, I kind of feel bad for the guy. You know, I don't think anybody deserves to die like that. But um, anyway, they lit the funeral pyre and watched until it was ashes. Uh, everything in everyone in their place. And just as a small uh, little detail here at the end, after, you know, the fire had burned away and it was just 
a pile of ash. Um, Erte, you know, when everyone had left, was uh, rustling around in the ashes, and he found Belbe's skull and took it as a little souvenir, a little metal skull. Um, And that's Nemesis. Nice. Dang. Yeah. So. Damn, damn. Yeah, yeah, Erte's going to get his revenge, and Grevin's just going to do his thing, and Krovac's just going to be crazy... uh, Crazy Crovax. Crazy Crovax. Crazy Evan Carr Crovax. Like, way, way worse than Volvac ever was. Way worse, because he's just, like, a madman. Yeah. Power hungry. Well, and the fact that, like, death literally empowers him. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. If he gets stronger, yeah. Yeah, so, um... Next up, well, I mean, for this series, we'll do a little... A little bit on prophecy, but it's, um... That'll be that'll probably just be one episode, and then we'll move on to invasion. So we'll get back to Dominaria and Gerard and Karn and all our our favorite characters. <laughs> they're gonna get invaded. They're gonna get by Phyrexia. They're gonna get invaded. Um, but next week we're gonna start our um, Midnight Hunt uh, set review series. So stay tuned for that. Um, but until then, uh, thank you for listening, and just take it easy out there, everybody. Thank you. Take it easy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take it easy, take it medium, take it hard, whatever you got to do. Yeah, just any way you can get just it. If you take it already. Show, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you should maybe rate us with some nice stars on the podcast app or Spotify. Uh, it really helps us out if you give us a nice rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no bad ratings, please. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help us. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye now. Turn one, soul nice gloves. That is nice gloves. Yeah, oh yeah. I got, I got skinny fingers. <laughs> Look at me, points. <laughs> <laughs>